0: Hello, and welcome to the Open Door Churches podcast. My name's John Creasy. I'm one of the pastors, along with my co-pastor, Reverend Cheryl Kellop. We're a PCUSA church in the east end of Pittsburgh, striving to create passageways to God, others, and the world in the way of Jesus. On this episode, we'll hear the sermon from this past Sunday. Enjoy.
1: This morning, uh, we're reading from Esther, um, which, if you haven't ever sat down and read it, it shouldn't take too long. You can read the whole book in one sitting. In um, uh, But we're just reading from one section of it, um, from chapters 3 and chapters 4. Um, also, uh, I always grew up, and I'm not great at Bible trivia, but um, <laughs> I always thought it was King Xerxes. Is that how you guys learned it? King Xerxes? Or who did you think the king's name was? Okay. And uh, now in newer transition, translations, you'll see it come up on the string. Uh, it's Ahusaris which sounds nothing like Xerxes. (laughs) So um, please forgive me as I stumble through that. Um, I had Bala coach me. He's better with the biblical languages than me, but um, yeah. Let us listen for the word of the Lord. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and did obeisance to Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him, But Mordecai did not bow down or do obeisance. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, "Why do you disobey the king's command?' When they spoke to him day after day, he would not listen to them. They told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or do obeisance to him, Haman was infuriated, but he thought it beneath him to kill only Mordecai. So having been told who Mordecai's people were, Haman plotted to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, there is a certain people scattered and separated among the peoples in all the providence of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people and they do not keep the king's laws. So that is not appropriate for the king to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let's let a decree be issued for their destruction and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, so that they may put it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, son of Hamadatha and Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went through the city wailing with loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. In every province Wherever the king's command and his decree came, there was a great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting and most of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maids and her eunuchs came and told her the queen was deeply distressed, she sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called to Hathach one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what was happening and why. Hathok went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued by Susa for their destruction, and he might show it to Esther, explain to her, and charge her to go to the king to make supplication to him and to entreat him for her people. Hathor went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathor and gave him a message for Mordecai. All the king's servants and people of the king's providence know if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law, to be put to death only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone, may the person live. I myself have not been called to come into the king for 30 days. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than any other Jew. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place. But you and your family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come into royal dignity for just a time such as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, hold a fast on my behalf, and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day, and I, my maids, will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered." This is the word of the Lord. I have recently heard a lot of people talking, using the phrase safe spaces. And I think it's a phrase that's most applicable for uh, those in the LGBTQIA community, where spaces where their identity is affirmed and trusted which is significant and important. But I hear it beyond the LGBTQIA community and even beyond uh, historically marginalized groups. I hear it among straight, cis, white folks too. Why is this such a catchphrase in our culture right now? What does it actually mean? What do we mean when we say safe spaces? Why do we feel unsafe from who or um, from what are we seeking safety? Safety from physical or emotional harm. Safety from prejudice. Safety from having to prove ourselves. Safety uh, from judgment. Safety from not um, defining our value on, on and our worth based on how much we produce. What is threatening us that we need to have safe spaces? Or maybe. We're just seeking comfort, more than safe spaces. And then I wonder, when we do find those safe spaces, who in the room are we making feel unsafe? In many ways, Mordecai and Esther are seeking safe spaces. Displaced by the Babylonian exile, Mordecai and Esther had this deep sense that their Jewish identity would put them in danger. Thus, Mordecai earlier in in Esther instructs Esther to keep her Jewish identity a secret. And possibly, Mordecai and Esther thought that by her becoming queen in this Persian court, they would be offered some sort of safety in a world where their difference made them feel inherently unsafe. Never mind what happened to the king's former wife, Vashti, who was not offered safety or autonomy. Nevertheless, Esther was encouraged to be put into this royal beauty, quant- beauty contest that she ends up winning, and maybe for a, a, a while Mordecai and Esther felt safe. Certainly Esther felt pampered in chapter 2 with all the beauty treatments, yet as you might know, their sense of safety was what lived as we read in scripture. The problem arises when Mordecai does not bow down to the court official Haman. The scripture never says exactly why Mordecai did not bow down to Haman, but most assume it has to do with Mordecai's identity as a Jew and his faithfulness to God. Haman gets upset and convinces the king to put out a decree to kill not just Mordecai but all of his people. And in that moment, all their senses of safety is unraveled. Now, we in general are a pretty privileged people, and no one here has a decree out to kill us or our people, but there seems to be a sense of unsafety, of of unsafety that, that we're seeking these safe spaces. Maybe it's the obvious that it's the virus that we cannot see but has horribly disrupted our lives. Or maybe it's because we live in a polarized country that we feel unsafe to talk to people from the other side or people we don't agree with. Or it could be we're similar to Mordecai and Esther, the fear that comes from living in a multicultural society. There's so much diversity of beliefs and ways of doing things that it causes us to question our beliefs and our ways of doing things. Or is it something even more deeper than that? Is it we're not trusting in the truth that we are God's beloved? Is it, not, is it that we don't believe in that we could be forgiven or redeemed? Faced with the danger that lies ahead, Esther and Mordecai react in two very different ways. Mordecai allows his outsides to reflect what his insides are feeling. He throws all respectability out the window and sits at the city gates in sackcloth and ashes. Esther is mortified because respectability and following social norms is what got her into her position now and offered her some sort of security up until this point. So of course she doesn't want her cousin and adopted parent embarrassing her in this way and begs him to stop this behavior. Yet Mordecai points out to Esther that the very things that she thought were making her safe is now threatening her life. The rituals and traditions of court life probably gave Esther and everyone at court some stability, some sense of certainty. They can be comforting. Traditions like no one can enter the king's presence unless invited by the king. If they do enter the throne room uninvited, they could be killed unless the king points the golden scepter at the person. While these sorts of traditions are more about safety for the elite ruling class, they do offer clarity and certainty that can be comforting. Yet now Esther is being called to move away from those comfortable traditions that regulate her life and break down social norms by speaking to the king uninvited. It's hard to imagine the fear she faced and the courage it took. You know, this isn't the only place in scripture where God's people sought safety in places that never fully would give them security. I think of the disciples hiding in the locked room after Jesus' crucifixion. John 20, 19 through 21 reads when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, the doors were locked where the disciples were for their own fear of their leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed his hands and his sides. Then the disciples rejoiced that they had saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, so I send you. When the disciples were seeking safety in locked doors, the savior of the world sends them out because he too was sent out. And the challenging part about this whole scene is Jesus isn't saying, guys, calm down. Everything is safe now. Jesus is showing them his hands and feet inside that shows it's not safe. It's terrifying. For his very wounds proves that, that that security isn't there. Jesus shows following him does not afford us certainty nor comfort, but it offers us life. Life beyond the fear. Life resting in the love of God. As a people of God, sometimes we seek safety and security in customs and respectability and being like or maybe in locked doors and shutting other people out and only sticking to people that are like us. Either way, that is not who God has called us to be. God calls us to be a people sent, to challenge and disrupt all that would hurt and wound and kill God's people. It's risky to follow Jesus. It's risky to be a people sent out to proclaim the gospel. There will be social norms and traditions that will need to be challenged. There will be conflict and frustration and uncertainty about the future. Yet, to paraphrase Mordecai, for who knows? Maybe you have been called and sent for a moment, such a moment as this. You know, many want the church or Christian community to be that safe place that everyone is looking for at at this time. But as a pastor, I can't promise you that. That's a promise the church cannot fulfill. Often when we talk about safe places, we're usually meaning specifically safe for me or specifically safe for people like me. Forgetting God calls a diverse group of people to form Christian community. And the safe places we imagine often don't include conflict and certainly don't include being held accountable for our actions or inactions. To some extent, we're seeking safety from feeling our own guilt. The church is never going to be that kind of safe space for we form this beautifully flawed community of God who are all in desperate need of God's forgiveness and redemption. Even the healthiest congregations have conflict because we make mistakes, but through the grace of God, we can work through it and open the door of reconciliation. It is only through acknowledging our own guilt and seeking forgiveness that we step into the redeemed people God would have us be. The Church of Jesus Christ was never meant to be behind locked rooms of safety, but to be a people sent out to meet and love the stranger. Now, I can't promise that you that we will be the safe place that people are imagining, but there are promises I can make. I promise you, first of all, that you will never have to do life and faith alone. After Jesus sends out the disciples, he anoints them with the Holy Spirit that goes with them and sustains them and cares for them. And when Esther is in a position where she doesn't think she is capable of that kind of courage, she has a community of faith that prays for her, that fasts for her, that shows up. We are here to pray and to walk with one another. We may not always get it right, but we don't have to do it alone. The other thing I wanna promise you is that you are loved and worthy of Christian community if you're seeking safe places because you continue to believe the lie that you're not lovable or forgiven, I want you to hear the actual truth. The boundary-breaking, unstoppable love of God wants you to know you are loved and forgiven. For a Savior with wounds in His sides and hands lives, lives to prove that truth. Whether you feel it or believe it in this particular moment, it does not change the truth that you are deeply and entirely loved. And nothing can separate you from that love. Family of faith, you're not alone. And you are secure in the only thing that truly offers security in the world, the love of God. And that, my friends, is enough enough to equip us and send us out into the uncertainty into hard conversations into breaking down social norms that are suffocating God's people knowing we're not alone and God's love binds us is enough to be the people Jesus sends us out to be the people sent to rest sent for such a time as this,
0: amen. Well, thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Hope you enjoyed it and felt uh, restored and encouraged by it. Come check us out uh, on a Sunday morning if you're in the Pittsburgh area. We worship at the Neighborhood Academy located in Garfield, And our website is pghopendoor.net. You can find all sorts of information on who we are, what we're up to in our neighborhood and in the world, and how you might be able to get more involved. Thanks.